0: Let's take a look at this. Our posture contrasts two visions of society. We looked at one of them. We didn't look at the other. The first vision is the vision of the world before the flood. The uh, The second vision is the world before the flop. That is God's judgment on the Tower of Babel. We're going to be looking at these two. They're both part of today's parsha. In the world before the flood, Adonai saw that the people on earth were very wicked, that all the imaginations of their hearts were always evil only. This is a picture of human society as chaotic anarchy. It's a picture of individualism run amok. It's what the Bible later calls everyone doing what was right in his own eyes. This is one picture of human society. In chapter 11 of Genesis, we read about the Tower of Babel. And here it's a different picture. The whole earth used the same language, the same words, It came about that as they traveled from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and lived there. This is basically in Assyria. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them in the fire. So they had bricks for building stone and clay for mortar. And then they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that has its top reaching up into heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over all the earth. Adonai came down to see the city and the tower the people were building, and Adonai said, look, the people are united. They all have a single language, and see what they're starting to do. At this rate, nothing they set out to accomplish will be impossible for them. Come, Let's go down and confuse their language so that they won't understand each other's speech. So from there, Adonai scattered them all over the earth and they stopped building the city. For this reason, it's called Bavel, confusion, because there Adonai confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, Adonai scattered them over the earth. This uh, passage pays tribute to Assyrian practice. It was Assyria's practice to restrict everyone, to all the subject peoples that they would conquer, and they conquered many. They restricted everyone to speaking one official language. It's a view of society which involves the suppression of difference. It's a view of society that involves an oppressive utilitarian hyperconformity utilitarian because if you unify everybody this way and suppress all difference you can use people like a tool but people were not meant to be tools we weren't created to be tools Uh, our tradition says that uh, the amazing thing about god is this that when when you have a a stamp and you make coins with it you use the same stamp and every coin is the same but god took adam the first man and he used him to stamp out copies and every copy is different that all human beings are unique but that's not the picture of this kind of utilitarian society it's a picture where differentness is is needs to be stamped out it's an oppressive, utilitarian, hyperconformity, whereas the society before the flood was one of rampant anarchy and individualism run amok. Let's look at this a little more deeply. The quotations from Chairman Mao, otherwise known as the Red Book, The Sayings of Chairman Mao, some of you are too young for this, but most of you are not to remember the days of Chairman Mao when everyone in China had one of these red books and and they, they had to be totally, totally programmed so that all of their thinking was uniform. The view was that this was how to have a powerful communist state, that you suppress difference. People were murdered people were sent to concentration camps for demonstrating any particle of differentness Mao said to read too many books is harmful because it destroys the kind of utilitarian unity that he coveted I've lost track of how many millions of people were murdered under this vision of unity, but it was tens of millions. Then you have this guy, looks relatively harmless. That's Pol Pot. He sought to create an agrarian utopia in Cambodia by destroying difference and wiping out all signs of industrial process, all signs of Western contamination. So that um, he got, he, he, he killed, for example, anybody who wore glasses. Because the assumption was if you wore glasses, you were a reader. If you were a reader, then you were an intellectual. If you were intellectual, then you had your own individualistic thoughts. So in the quest of this agrarian Ugar- utopia, they murdered them. In fact, the Pol Pot rebellion wiped out one third of the population of Cambodia. 1.5 million people that's all in the service of this kind of unified conformity suppressing utilitarianism and here is a book that my son Chaim considers to be the greatest novel ever written and that's arguable it's uh, it's possible but it's true written in 1945 by George Orwell. He talks about where he sees society going. And he has a couple of quotes from 1984. The ideal set up by the party was something huge, terrible, and glittering. A world of steel and concrete. Of monstrous machines and terrifying weapons. A nation of warriors and fanatics marching forward in perfect unity, all thinking the same thoughts and shouting the same slogans, perpetually working, fighting, triumphing, persecuting 300 million people, all with the same face. Oh man, that's powerful. But I see that at work in our culture today, whether on the right or on the left, There is a drive to suppress and negate difference. And uh, 1984 was a prophetic book. Here's something else Orwell says, every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day, minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. What they did is they revised history so that you couldn't find any record of the party making any kind of mistake. It was the destruction of life as it is being made over into an image of a certain kind of utilitarian utopia that was really a form of hell. Here's one more quote. Uh, No, we did this one. I'm sorry, we did this one. Let's move on. This is a theologian named Peter Lightheart. And he reminds us, and I want to remind you, that in the case of the flood And in the case of the Tower of Babel, they both were followed by judgment. And there are those who argue, and I'm one of them, that we're experiencing judgment at this time. Uh, Lightheart wrote an article in which he said, it's not inconsiderable that the whole world is under this plague right now. And he talks about what is the purpose of judgment. He says... Judgment includes punishment for sin, but it also involves unmasking, exposure, testing, and clarification. God judges to uncover what's hidden at the bottom of things. So, during this pandemic and other signs of decay, it's good to ask, what is God trying to Call our attention to. What is he trying to uncover? What is he trying to show us that it normally lays hidden at the bottom of things? It's a good question. And here's another question What should we do? What should we do? I suggest that the uh, no, no uh solution is not good. Rampant individualism, chaotic anarchy. No, that's not good. But neither is a vision of the world where everything would be just great if everyone thought just like me or just like my leader or just like my party. I think what should be done is that we should always be prepared to follow God radically. By that I mean that we're not following the crowd as we see with Avram he was prepared to depart from the consensus around him he lived in Ur of the Chaldees and not in considerable city i've said before that when you go to the hebrew university museum you'll find plates that were dug up by sir leonard woolley in ur that go back to about the time of abram And anyone would be thrilled to buy one of those plates, one of those glass plates on Rodeo Drive and pay a fortune for it. They were gorgeous, beautiful. Avram was an urban man. Now Adonai said to Avram, get yourself out of your country, away from your kings and away from your father's house. In other words, be prepared to leave your context, to leave the familiar ways of talking thinking being go to the land that i will show you i will make of you a great nation i will bless you i will make your name great and you were be a blessing i will bless those who bless you i'll curse anyone who curses you and by you all the families of the earth will be blessed so Avram went as i had said and lot went with him so We don't go alone. It's not rampant individualism. We do have company. We should go with the people of God when they are following God. That's important. The people of God do not always follow God. Oftentimes they just follow each other. Lot went with him. Avram was 75 years old when he left Haran. It's interesting that the Torah presents these three pictures uh, in order. Presents the picture of Noah's uh, generation, the picture of the Tower of Babel, and then right afterwards, we come to this story of Avram. So finally, what should I do? What should you do? What should we do? In order to avoid these two Visions of society, which both lead to judgment. The vision of rampant individualism, of chaotic, chaotic anarchy, on the one hand, or the vision of of hyperconformity, of utilitarianism, of a suppression and the negation and contempt for difference. We need to avoid both extremes. What should we do? Vote. If you haven't voted, uh, vote. You need, I need, we need to take responsibility to do what we can to keep our society from going over the edge in one way or another. May God be with you as you take these things seriously and pray for us, pray for our country, pray for our world. Because I do believe that we're under judgment right now. It's not judgment that's meant to condemn us. It's God's great alarm clock. But many, many, many people don't even realize they're asleep. So may God have mercy on us all. Shabbat Shalom.